Canucks Central Tuesday. It's Dan Richo in the Kintech studio. We've got a big show coming up. Uh, no Satcha here today as uh, he's uh, taking a maintenance day. Well-earned maintenance day after a busy weekend covering the Canucks. And, of course, yesterday, everything Jim Rutherford had to say. Today, we continue to reflect on the direction that was set forth by the president of Hockey Ops of the Vancouver Canucks. Irfan Gaffar will join us. Ian McIntyre will join us. Now, I I look at this situation, and it's been really interesting to go around and really look at and listen to everything that had been said around the city, whether on Canucks Twitter, the various podcasts, the various different shows here on Sportsnet 650, and see an overwhelming, or at least it felt like to me, an overwhelming feeling that there is only one way forward for this team. That the only way forward for this team is to tear it down to the suds. A full-on scorched earth rebuild. And respectfully, I disagree. I don't necessarily care about the term you use for how to take this team forward. Should it be a rebuild? Should it be a retool? Doesn't matter to me. The word means nothing. Your actions, your execution is what matters in this situation. And there is no world where you as a Canucks fan should be happy with what you've seen in Vancouver. Not now and not for much of the Aquilini tenure, to be honest. Heck, not for much of the 50-plus years this franchise has existed. And certainly not over the last decade plus after the run to the 2011 Stanley Cup Final. There was one spot that I felt this team really could have hit the hard reset button and set themselves up for potential success in a couple of years' time. And that was to move both J.T. Miller and Bo Horvat. I felt moving both for futures was the play, and it's the play you could have made at least to relieve some of the future cap, cap purchases, cap debt, and get some future, some assets to potentially use to then fix the squad over the next couple of years. But now you're stuck with contracts you can't move. And respectfully to Jim Rutherford, he's added to that list of contracts he can't move. All of these things are true. However, that scorched earth rebuild when you have Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, it's a defeatist mentality. Yes. I know people are going to get mad at that sort of sentiment. Defeatist mentality? They've been losing games for the last 10 years. One of the worst seven teams in the league since 2015. Or however far back you want to go. I totally get that. And that point was a better point to start the full-on scorched earth rebuild. But when you have Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, it's a very different equation. Because you have two of the hardest things that it is to find in order to build a team around. A franchise defenseman and a franchise centerman. They're both untouchable. Whatever the rhetoric around the hockey industry says, for me, they're both untouchable. So what does that mean? It means your actions for the next 
couple of months in the lead up to this trade deadline are massive. It means your actions through the course of this summer are very important as to how you set this team up. Because there is no world, I'll agree with a lot of people on this, there is no world where you're able to field or ice a truly competitive roster as early as next season. That does not exist. That reality does not exist. You can go into next season being like, you know what? We'd like to be competitive, but we're very realistic. There is a wide range of outcomes that could take place here. We could end up in a race for a playoff spot, or we could end up near the bottom of the standings again. Both of those realities should be true. But what this team should be playing for is the 24-25 season and setting themselves up for that because that's the year where Elias Pettersson's new contract will kick in and you have Quinn Hughes for three years remaining on his current deal. That's when this needs to be go time for this team. And every decision you make from now until then should be influenced by that. It's uh, Canuck Central, Dan Riccio, uh, with you here in the Kintec studio. I've got a cast of thousands putting the show together today, including uh, producer Josh Elliott Wolf. Hey, how's it going? Great. Great. Uh, I will say, like, I, I completely agree with you when the, the Pedersen and Hughes part of it, like, that's the hardest part to find when you're starting a rebuild. Mm-hmm. And, like, if they, if they do go scorched earth, are you guaranteeing that you're going to find another Pedersen and Hughes with however many picks or prospects you get? Like, probably not. Yep. Unless you go full-on tank. But even then, like, this – if you were to tank, to your point, selling Miller, selling Horvat, and going all in on having this year be a bad year yep. would have been the route to that. Now you're past that. You're committed to – you're committed to Miller, obviously. And it's more about trying to find – to your point, like find guys that fit that window yeah. in 24-25. That's what this is all about. And I know what Jim Rutherford would say as a rebuttal to what I just mentioned and the little monologue I had just gone on. It's JT Miller, Ilya Mikheyev, they fit into that window. We see them as pieces that will help us win. In 24-25. Now, why doesn't Bo Horvat factor in there? Why does Bo Horvat not factor in and Andre Kuzmenko does? You know, it, it there's no easy answers here. Well, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot more questions that turn up than there are answers when you think about it that way. But that's why this is a difficult job. The It does kind of factor in in a way because when you look at Mikheyev and what they thought Kuzmenko's price was going to come in at, Horv- you can only keep one of Horvat and Miller and still have a relatively good team when you factor in you're also going to have to extend Pedersen as well, and that's going to be more expensive than both of them. And so you were like you were never going to be able to commit to those three unless, especially after the OEL trade and everything, unless you were willing to sacrifice a bunch of wingers on the outside and you were able to find really cheap depth pieces to that end up exceeding their contracts like a Carter Verhage or whatever. Yep. But that's harder, I would say, than trading one of Horvat or Miller like they're going to do and getting those pieces back. And and I do think they're gonna run into a similar similar situation with Kuzmenko as well, where 
now he's pricing himself out, but I, I just don't think they were ever going to be able to figure out a way to fit all three of those in. And that's why Horvat doesn't fit. It was either Horvat or Miller, and that's why he doesn't fit now in that picture. Uh, the more we have gone through this, um, the more I, I wonder. You know, once they could not get Horvat on the team-friendly deal that they offered in early summer, was it always going to be JT Miller over Bo Horvat? There are a lot of things about those two players that is right now polarizing in the market. One thing that is more fact than opinion is JT Miller over his Canucks tenure has been the better player, more impactful player, more valuable player than Bo Horvat has been. That has been true up until this season. When you say or when you hear that JT Miller and the way his contract negotiation played out, when you hear that JT Miller was paid off of one season, that's somewhat of a lie. It was a career year, and it happened to come after that. It, it's a career year, but it it's not as much of an outlier to his career norms as Bo Horvat's current season is to what Bo Horvat has been throughout his entire career. Like right now, Bo Horvat is more than a point. Is He's at over three points per 60 right now. He's never been in his career higher than 2.3. So that's nearly an extra point per 60 than he's ever been. We've barely played more than half a season. He's two goals off his career mark. If you look at JT Miller, the majority of his career, he's been over two and a half points per 60. He's had a couple of occasions where he's been over three points per 60 at five on five or all situations in Tampa Bay, in New York. He's done it multiple times, not just last year. So when you say, well, the Canucks just paid JT Miller off of an outlier season, it's not really the same way that you would phrase it in Bo Horvat's terms, because it's just simply not true in the same way. And I get it. Bo's done a lot of great things for this market. He's been a great player, great community player for this, this market, great face of the franchise, always ready to talk to media, always ready to do the hard things. And it's never really been easy for him as captain of the Vancouver Canucks. All of those things are valid, but we have to be realistic about the situation. And if, you are, as the Canucks are, going through this retool rather than rebuild, to use those terms that I hate so much yet again. Let's think of more rewords. We need more rewords, <laughs> 100%. We need like a brainstorming session where we think about more of the rebuild versus retool type words. Refresh. Refresh. There reset. We yeah. uh, We could use a lot of them. But the key in a quality reset or retool is two massive trades, two very big trades, if you will. We know what one is going to be. It's going to be the Bo Horvat deal. We've talked about Colorado as a potential, like, almost a similar situation to the Canucks because not that long ago, the Colorado Avalanche, their first year with Jared Bednar as head coach, were the worst team in hockey. One of the worst teams we've seen in the cap era. They had 48 points in an 82-game season. Absolutely ferocious. They were awful. And then they turned it around. They didn't trade everybody. The two big pieces that they moved were Ryan O'Reilly and Matt Duchesne. 
two massive pieces. Now, there's one obvious massive piece the Canucks have, and it's Bo Horvat. That one, it looks like, is going to be the move. The other question is who's the next one? Because it's not Luke Shen. Luke Shen is a nice piece to move, but it's not really getting you a huge haul. I'd be shocked if they do get the first rounder that has been sort of thrown out there at times. A second rounder seems much more realistic. Maybe a nice prospect. Maybe an early 20s type defenseman that nobody seems to like. <laughs> um, Cal Foot. hello, Tampa Bay Lightning. All right. Um, there's a lot of possibilities there, but it's not one that is altering your future in any significant way. That's the trouble I see. So when you say scorched earth rebuild, why do people say scorched earth rebuild? And why do I say it's a defeatist mentality? Because it's the easiest way out. You know, it's like, okay, we're just trading everybody and we're stripping it down to the studs. We're going to build it back up from scratch. It's really comfortable. It is. It's, you know, like it's a tried and true way to get really bad. Make sure you're going to get elite talent into your organization. But once you start having to build it back up again, complications arise. Hello, Edmonton. Hello, Buffalo. Hello, New Jersey. Like all of these teams have seen that sort of issue pop up. Arizona, they've never been good. They've been perpetually in a rebuild. Carolina, maybe they weren't technically rebuilding for any point in time, but they were bad for 10 years before this recent run when they finally started getting good. It's so much about making the right moves rather than the type of moves you make. Scorched earth rebuild, defeatist mentality when you have Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes in your organization. You don't need to trade everything, but you need to make the right moves. The first move, you got to trade Bo Horvat, and you've got to get a home run out of that deal. The next one, the only two players I see, Josh, is Thatcher Demko or Andre Kuzmenko. Like Those are the only other two pieces that you could move right now that potentially give you something of significant value to ingest some life into the organization, whether it be through prospects or otherwise. And even with Demko, I, I hesitate because I don't know who's giving you a huge haul for a goaltender, especially one that's been hurt and has had multiple hip surgeries already through his career. The goalie market is just always weird in general. I shouldn't say multiple. one At least one hip surgery. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like, the, the other side of this argument when you talk about saying, hey, you need to make two big trades is like, Theoretically, you had JT Miller off a career year last year. You could have traded him at the deadline or in the summer, and that's capitalizing on that. And Look, then you have yes, they as should well. have. And but the boat has sailed. Yeah, they've made their decision. They're not trading him, so now you've got to figure out a different avenue to move forward with. And I, I do think Kuzmenko is the most logical option, especially because he, like, before the season, I know Sad has talked about it a lot. There's maybe a comparison to what McKayev got for a contract. And I think right now people would jump at that for Kuzmenko if he signed that with the Canucks. But he's played himself past that. Mm-hmm. And and now the fear is, is he playing himself too far past that where he kind of doesn't line up with the Canucks' cap structure of what maybe they think they should be paying a guy like Kuzmenko. My fear with trading Kuzmenko is that the winger market has been so weird lately. Yes. And I don't know if you're going to get that premier return that you might need and that you might want if you're going to move a guy like Kuzmenko 
the the only thing that well the big thing he has going for him is obviously the points, but also his his salary is so low that he's he is be the so one valuable. he is the one trade deadline asset that everybody can fit. Yeah, exactly. Every single contender can fit Andre Kuzmenko into their lineup, can fit him into their cap structure at least for the remainder of this season. That's what makes Kuzmenko a very valuable trade deadline asset, more so than his points, more so than everything else. It's. I wonder, could you get a first and a decent prospect for Andre Kuzmenko? Does that matter a ton? It matters in the sense of, hey, these are assets your organization needs more of, and B, it's cap commitments you are not having to put on your own books, and they're going on somebody else's. That's, look, I like Andre Kuzmenko as much as the next guy, but is this team in a space right now where they need to commit $6 million to Andre Kuzmenko? And if you have to move, if you're worried about Horvat's age and giving him a contract, why is it not the same with Kuzmenko? If you could guarantee me that you could move Garland and or Besser, even for decent returns, like some kind of draft capital or young player that isn't just hey, we're taking on a cheaper salary in order to get rid of Connor Garland or Brock Besser, then I'd be interested in it because I like Andre Kuzmenko a ton, and I think there's a ton of value in just how much chemistry he's shown with Elias Pettersson this year. But there are a couple of red flags for Andre Kuzmenko. We talk a lot about shooting percentage and how maybe that's the one thing you can't really replicate year to year. At least, I shouldn't say that. It's not that you can't replicate shooting percentage. It's just it's very clear when there are outlier seasons that are above your norms. And right now, Andre Kuzmenko is a player that is shooting at a very high rate. Not just from the raw shooting percentage that you see at Hockey Reference or Hockey DB, whatever. At 5-on-5, five five, Andre Kuzmenko's shooting percentage is 16%. It's second best on the team, only behind Bo Horvat. The team's on-ice shooting percentage with Kuzmenko is 13.5%. That is the sixth highest rank in the league among forwards who have played 200 minutes or more. So basically, when the Canucks are on the ice, shots are going on net. They're going in at a 16% clip when Kuzmenko's on the ice. It's a very high number. Yeah. Right now, the only other players ahead of him are like Ilya Mikheyev and a bunch of Seattle Kraken who are currently setting the shooting percentage of 5-on-5 record in NHL history, or at least since the stat has been tracked. So, call me skeptical that it's going to remain at this higher rate. That's not to diminish how good a player Kuzmenko has been. It's more just to illustrate that there has been an element of luck to his success and one that you absolutely need to be conscious of when thinking of a new contract. And these are these are also the things that when you're looking for a trade, like you as a team should recognize when guys like this, and I'm sure other teams will see it too, but you as a team need to recognize when guys are having seasons like this is when they might have more value than other seasons. And I the the thing that interests me in a Kuzmenko trade, if you are able to get a first, can you swing it in a way that's like what uh what Montreal got from Florida, where they trade for a future first, 
and hope that that team ends up doing a bit worse than they did this year. So maybe a team that's high in the standings this year that you don't think will sustain that going into next year, capitalize on that. And then that asset that you may think is, it, it's still like, if you get a first this year, that's great, but you could get more on top of that. If you, if you look for a future first instead, the thing about what you're getting in these trades too. So I say you have to hit a home run with the, the Horvat deal. It's not necessarily that one of the players, like here, here's the great outcome. You know, one of the players you acquire in a Horvat deal in two years' time is an impact player on the roster helping your team win games. That's the pie in the sky view. It doesn't always work out that way. The other thing is you take the assets and look for players that might be available in trade, like what Montreal did to acquire Kirby Doc, right? They trade Alex Romanov and they get the first round pick from the Islanders. They use that first round pick to go and get Kirby Doc from Chicago. Not every trade has to be linear in order to make it work for your team. This is key for the Canucks in this process. Creativity, layering your moves could be the way to go. But the number one thing in the NHL that you absolutely need to make this work is cap space. Jim Rutherford has said it a million times. We all know it. Even going back to the Jim Benning days when the Canucks actually had cap space through those really lean years while they were drafting Elias Pettersson and, and Quinn Hughes. Are you ever going to weaponize your cap space? How many times did we talk to Jim Benning about that? Never happened. But we see a lot of these teams do it. Again, to point to Colorado, two massive moves they made to get over the hump to bring them towards being a Stanley Cup champion. Devon Taves and Nazem Kadri. Both situations were facilitated strictly because the Colorado Avalanche were able to take on salary. The Golden Knights and now the Kraken, they were built on the foundation of weaponizing cap space as expansion teams. But when I look at how this moves forward, the thing that stood out to me and has stood out to me from day one of Jim Rutherford being the president of Hockey Ops here in Vancouver, we have to get cap space so that we are able to do other things. Well, Jim, you've been in the job for more than a year and still haven't been able to create any cap space. Time to get moving on that. All right. Irfan Gafar is going to join us. His take on everything Rutherford had to say and... As one of the most plugged-in voices in the market, what he's hearing on Horvat, Kuzmenko, Boudreaux, and others. That's next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Um, I don't know if you guys heard about this. Uh, I know, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of late to it, but um, Connor McDavid's like scrapped the shootout. Connor McDavid, the hero we didn't know we needed. Scrap the shootout. It's a crappy way to end games, says Connor McDavid. I love that. Let's bring in our next guest. It's Irfan Gaffar, the fourth period. Uh, Canucks insider joining us. What's up, Irf? What's going on? How you doing? 
Uh, I'm doing well. Still uh, digesting everything Jim Rutherford had to say yesterday. I think you and a lot of other people. <laughs> what was your main takeaway? Oh, man. I, I think oh, there's a lot. Uh, yeah. I think that, well, I mean, you start with Tanner Pearson, right? And, you know, no disrespect to Tanner Pearson, but everything that's happened, it's it's now basically done. And with, with what Jim Rutherford said yesterday, <laughs> there's a whole other bunch of cans of worms that were open. So um, I think it was the retool that was big, but then also going back and saying that they thought that they were tanking. Yeah. So that one kind of had a little bit of a uh, mixed mix signals there a little bit. Uh, well, I would say, like, you know, on that note, you know, the tank for this season, you know, it's obvious where they're headed for this season. Yeah. But I he, mean, well, that that's just, I mean, and if you get who you get and, you know, yeah, then that's obviously that helps you rebuild or retool right away. But essentially that hints that, you know, they they sort of hope that they're probably not tanking next season as well. Yeah, and and I also think that, you know, it was interesting that when Jim Rutherford said basically when they got off to a bad start, yeah, they kind of had to have some conversations about the coach. So that was early. <laughs> like, that, early. I was, I was, that was literally the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, well, they lost seven in a row to start the year, so. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? So I think over the last few weeks, it's ramped up a lot more. Um. And, you know, by the end of this season, I, I wouldn't be shocked if there was a head coaching change there. Okay, so I was, um, I was kind of confused on that because, you know, yes. I mean, he, he came out and he said, yes, uh, you know, we, we have talked to other coaches at, at, at different points this year and nothing's come of it. Bruce Boudreaux is, is our coach right now. Um, yeah. Like, is there an appetite to make that move in season or – are they sort of hoping that they can keep this train going until the end of the year and then bring in the guy, as we all seem to think, it's going to be Rick Tockett at the end of the season and get ready for next year? I think that it's a little bit of both. I think mm. that at some point you might want your guy to come in just to see what he's working with here for the next for, – for, for a little bit of the season. Like a Daryl Sutter type it. thing. Yeah, just to kind of see what he's working with, then do a full evaluation in the summer and, and kind of get things rolling and, and see what they have to do when you lead into the draft and you head into free agency and what money you're going to have before the season starts next year and, and get training camp plans together, get other coaches and your, your medical departments and all sorts of stuff all in sync before you head into next season. So that's why I think that there's a little bit of an appetite to have it done, to have the new coach come in at some point this season. Um, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And if they keep this ship keeps going down the way it's going down and they have a decent shot at, you know, landing Connor Bedard, then you, you don't really know, right. They, they might just try and stick with it. But I think that there's a plan. And I, and I do really believe that there's an appetite to make that coaching change at some point within the next, maybe three to five weeks. So sort of after the all-star break kind of thing, right around, I yeah. think. Yeah. And uh, it's it's still like it seems Rick Tockett. Uh, who are we to dispute Elliot Friedman? I guess, but uh, Rick yeah. Tockett seems to be the guy, right? Yeah, I think that there's conversations that that were probably had with with other people and other candidates, and 
you know, you, you go back to the history, right? With Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin and, and Rick Tockett and, you know, their history together in Pittsburgh. And if you think Rick Tockett's coming, he's not going to be the only one from that organization that left that is probably going to come in. I mentioned the other day, probably, you know, Sergey Gonchar is a name that you'll see that definitely to try and shore up that Canuck defense and, and, you know, make some improvements there. But, um, yeah, Rick's probably going to be the guy. Uh, it's, it's not really a secret anymore. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, was troublesome for the Canucks when everything started coming out. And then, you know, Jim had to come out yesterday and he couldn't really say who or, or why he was speaking to the person or what happened. But, I mean, we all really know. And like you mentioned, you know, you can't refute what Elliot says. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's no secret there. Um, all right. Bo Horvat. Um, I was kind of yeah. surprised he wasn't asked about it today, but I guess he, he put his stake in the ground <laughs> a little bit earlier this year. He's like, I'm not talking about it. So don't bother asking me any questions about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was kind of startling to, to hear Jim Rutherford be as frank as he was about the Horvat contract negotiation yesterday. Yeah. And you know what, to be completely honest, I don't think that they're, 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 they're done. I think that they said Ooh. that, you know, they, I think that, you know, that they mentioned that, you know, that what the offer on the table is a very fair offer for what they believe market value is for Horvat for his service. So the offer that they have isn't for what he's playing this season. And this season, probably it's eight plus, right? You're starting with eight. Yeah. Right. So it's not in that dollar figure. And we talked about it a long time ago that, you know, I, I believe the offer was under 50 million um, mm. for, for for Bo Horvat from the Canucks, so Audrey esque, yes, right around seven. there, yeah, yeah, the Milan Lucic deal, yep. Wow, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, it sounds better when you say no, the Nazem Kadri deal. If you're honest, I, I'm very I'm very aware of that. I just said it tongue in cheek. Um, but look, I, I think that if you're from for Jim Rutherford's point of view, I think it's now turned into the corner of Pat Morris and his camp. To be like, okay, well, he said what he said. Are we going to go back and talk again? And I think that they are. I think that it's all part of this bigger plan. Like contract negotiations are contract negotiations. You have your GM thing one thing, to or your president of hockey ops thing one thing to try and you know move the needle of an agent in a in a direction to try and fit their narrative. Where the, the agent's like, well, I'm not talking to these guys until they approach us. Well, they approached you in the media now. So what? So really, it's it's now your move, right? The Canucks can try all they can to to facilitate trades, and let me tell you, there's a lot of teams that have called about Bo Horvat, and rightfully so. Um, you know, and I don't know if there's any offers that have been made that have been, you know, Canucks have made the Canucks, you know, shake their head, and say, okay, can we take this seriously? But I definitely do know that there's a lot of teams interested um, in the services of Bo, and, and they should be. Um, if you're the Canucks, are you going to take your best offer? Are you going to let, or is Patrick Alvin going to let, you know, Bo talk to a certain team? Will Bo sign with a certain team that they may have a deal with long-term? Like, these are all the questions that the Canucks have to take into consideration when, when dealing with this. So I, like I mentioned right when you asked me that question, I think that the Canucks have one more offer in them and they have a number that they're willing to get to and that's going to be it. And I don't think that they've gotten there. So is the top end same total money as, as JT Miller, you think? It's got to be. Yeah. I think it would have to be to make Horvat be like, okay, well, this, this is now a serious offer. I just, I don't know how Bose. Or he yeah. goes to the open market and gets nine somewhere. Well, like, okay. 
See, this is where the math doesn't check out unless the number is is a nine somewhere on a seven-year term, which is the highest you can get in free agency yeah. over the summer. Right? Like, that's the only way he gets over $60 million in unrestricted free agency. nine. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, we're talking about, like, I mean, I, the, the one team I've pinpointed is the Columbus Blue Jackets. I just don't see too many other teams that are going to go to that level, that length to sign Bo Horvat in free agency. No, you're right. But there's a lot of other teams with a lot of cap space that really do want him. Like the Devils are interested. Mm, that's true. Um, they have been for, for, for a while, which would be really interesting. I don't but... necessarily know if I get it with the Devils. Like Jack Hughes is having an incredible year. Heischer's one of the best two-way centers in the game. Like where are you playing Bo? Third line center? It just doesn't. Some, unless you move Jack, Jack Hughes to the wing or something to that effect. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I get it, but I, I definitely think that with the money that they have available, especially next season, I think yeah. it's over $30 million, and you only have to pay yes for Brat. Like, they're, they're, there is some wiggle room there if, 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 you're, the, if you're the New Jersey Devils. So, um, but, yeah, like I mentioned, look, nine would be crazy, but someone might do it. Yeah. Um, now, as far as – uh, it, would, it would take a lot for Bo Horvat to stay. I, I think it would be JT Money Plus. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like um, some some feelings were hurt in how this situation has played out as well. That might factor in. Of course. Yep. Uh, and, I, and I understand that. When, when, the, the part about this, though, that, that I don't um, fully comprehend, I guess, is so Rutherford's talking about, you know, we have to change some of the core. We have to do major surgery instead of minor surgery. You know, and, and if, if they are willing to go a little bit more for Horvat. Like, based on the rhetoric from Jim Rutherford yesterday, I just don't see any other player that they can create major surgery with on the core other than Bo Horvat. You get what I'm saying? I agree. Yeah. Because they're not going to retain salary on a guy like Brock Besser. No. Um, your other core pieces are Quinn Hughes, Elias Pedersen, and Thatcher Demko. Pedersen's not going anywhere. Yeah, it would take a nuclear offer for Hughes, and I really don't think that they want to trade Thatcher Demko. And right now, I mean, he's hurt still. And the endorsement of the didn't really have a ringing endorsement from Jim Rutherford the other day about when he's going to come back. Yeah, or if he's going to come back, right this yep. season. So we we don't really know there. And are you willing to do it? And here's the other thing: are 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 teams calling on a guy like Thatcher Demko? You know, like what teams right now that are, are you think are going to want a starting goalie? Yes, I understand the money is good for the next few years. He's only making five million bucks, but that 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 probably is going to cost the team a lot if they're trying to pull Thatcher Demko out of Vancouver. Um, well, the only team, but, I, I mean, this is like total speculation, which is definitely my game. But like the L.A. Kings, and I don't yeah. know if you would want to trade Demko in division, but. Let's say you take on Cal Peterson's contract and take one of L.A.'s many or maybe more than just one of L.A.'s many future assets that they have available, right? Yeah. I mean, look, the, the funny thing is that there's so many teams within the division that are interested in the Canucks players. Yeah. Like you got Seattle that, that, that wants to worry about. You, you have Calgary showing some interest in, in some Canucks players. And now you have, obviously, L.A. 
you know, what, what's going to happen with Vegas? Mark Stone's got a back injury. How long is he going to be out for now yeah. if he is out for a foreseeable future? Apparently They're Robin Leonard's stealing anacondas too. It's uh, it's really well, strange. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a weird story but, too. Anyways, totally out know. of left field. Sorry about that. No, no, no. But yeah, no, I mean, I like, look, there, there's, there's a lot of teams with a lot of interest, but nothing with any offer that makes the Canucks go, okay, you're actually serious about doing business right now. I think with, with Bo, I mean, we're, we're we've heard Carolina, um, you know, I know we talked a little bit about Minnesota and wondering if, if they would be really interested in Bo. Feels like that would be more as a rental rather than a, a long-term fit given their cap situation. Um, but you mentioned the list is long. Like, are there favorites for Horvat, or is that market not necessarily emerged just yet? I don't think that market's emerged yet, yeah. to be honest. I think that there are teams that have called multiple times the same team. Mm-hmm. Right, whether they've checked in or or or, or done their due diligence, and are obviously watching Bo and, and going to see him at, at, at different games, um, I definitely think that that's happened. But right now, I mean, where are we? January seventeenth, the All Star Games in three weeks, or or, or just a couple of weeks now, um, and then after that, it's going to ramp right up, if not just before the All Star break, I think. Um, that tends to be when it starts, right? A month out from the deadline. And... Well, I, I think if you're the Canucks, it kind of has to, but it, it almost has to start now. Yeah. Because if you're wanting to get the best possible deal and you're already told yourself that we can't do this anymore, we're not going to have another conversation with Bo, that's it, we're done, let's try and move this guy. You've got to have already started it. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, you get too close to the All-Star break, and then you get too close to the draft or the, uh, the trade deadline, and then you have teams saying, all right, well, you guys are desperate now. What's going to happen? You know what doesn't work in the Canucks' favor is, like, the Eastern Conference, Fine. most of the uh, most of the playoff spots are already, like, tied up, you know? It's not yeah. like – no team is, like, trying to convince themselves, like, hey, Bo's going to help us get into the playoffs. It's like, well, we're already kind of settled in our spot. <laughs> no, but Bo can help you if you're a team, win a cop. Yeah. Long, right. Longer it, run it, of gaining it, chemistry, it, getting comfortable in the market, those types yes, of things. Yes, I, I agree. But is he a guy that can put you over the edge? Mm-hmm. And I think that there are certain teams that are in the Eastern Conference that do believe that. Yeah. Uh, Andre Kuzmenko. Um, I, I heard Rick Dollywall talk a little bit about it today. Number could be in the sixes, maybe a seven, um, as, as far as average annual value goes. It always comes down to total money, as we've talked about here in our regular Tuesday hits. But... What kind of number are we looking at with, with Andre Kuzmenko? Well, I don't think it's going to be seven Yeah, for two years um, or on a bridge deal. I think that's just a, that's a lot of money. Well, like seven, uh, seven times three is 21 or five yeah. by five is 25. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of like, how do you want the term to work out more than anything else? Well, and if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you probably want the, you probably want the longer <laughs> term. Yeah. And if you're Kuzmenko, you want to bet on yourself. Yeah. And... Like I've always mentioned, the dude wanted to be here. Mm-hmm. But now it's obviously a case where agents saying, okay, well, my guy's worth this much, which 100% rightfully so. But it's a very, very, very small sample size. Mm-hmm. Right? And are we so sure that? I mean, you, dude, I'm all about guys getting their bread. No problem. Go get your money. You play well, you deserve to make all of the money. You, you really do. But it, it's just the way it's going to work. Is Kuzmenko going to want to just take a, a two-year deal? Is he going to be a guy that wants to know what happens here? Is he going to be a guy that talks to Elias Pettersson? And if Pettersson says, well, I don't really know what I'm doing right now, is he going to be like, well, okay, I'm only going to stay here for two years then? Yeah. Like that, these are all the things that, that these guys are taking into consideration. 
when they go into this summer and the Canucks have to as well, right? They're top dog. Yeah, I agree, you know, with Kuzmenko and, and you know, their priorities are bow and, and all sorts of that. But they're top dog. The guy that they, may ha- they have to make the absolute happiest is Elias Pedersen. It starts there. Mm-hmm. And they have to do everything in their power before they sit down at the table with Elias Pedersen to make sure that that guy is, will, is wanting, it has all the information in front of him, that he wants to sign a long-term contract here and um, has a, a sense of direction about where this team is going for the next four or five years if he's going to sign term. And, you know, obviously who the coach is going to be. We all probably know who that's going to be, how long that term is. I think if, if and when it does happen, the, the, the deal will have some term on it. Yeah. Um, but that's the guy, Reach, that they have to make the absolute happiest as, as things go on here. So with Elias Patterson, look, I, I just went on a huge monologue off the top of the show talking about <laughs> how, you know, a scorched earth rebuild is a defeatist mentality as long as you have Elias Patterson uh, and, and Quinn Hughes on your roster. Like you've got the two of the hardest pieces it is to find, right? Uh, you've got the franchise center and a top end defenseman. Figure out a way to build around that rather than just saying, hey, we've got nothing here. Let's trade it all and build it back up from, from scratch. Um, but if you don't have Elias Patterson long term, that argument sort of falls on its head. So yeah. w- what is it like? Is it just about the money? How much about it is direction for Patterson is a question mark. But I think I've always felt like if he's got 85 to 90 million dollars sitting on the table in the summer, that's kind of hard to turn away from. I, I agree, but he wants to win. Yeah. Like, I, I really do think he's that competitive and he, he's got that fire inside of him that he wants to win. I remember his first season, his first couple of seasons here, um, you know, like he was visibly upset after games at himself. Yeah. If, if things didn't go well or, or, if, or if he didn't play well, or if the puck bounced over his stick or if he missed a shot, he hit the post. Dude was visibly upset and, and the team wasn't good then. Right. And, and now, you know, you have him maturing and, and turning into a leader of this team and, and things of that nature. And he is a guy that, you know, has that, has that competitive nature in him that, that he so desperately just wants to win. And I think that that's the thing that, you know, it's, it's going to be beat really hard in that negotiation is how are we going to win? Not just, you know, not just make the playoffs, not just, you know, get a round or two, but how are we going to compete for a Stanley Cup? Because I really do think that. You know, the, the money aside, he's going to make his money no matter where he goes. I really do think he does want to be here. I don't think he wants out at all. Yeah. But he, but he wants to win. So how do you make that work in the window of opportunity that you have here with guys like Demko on a, on, on another, on a contract for another few years with Quinn Hughes locked up and with Elias Pettersson, right? So you've got to try and surround those guys with the talent, not only to play with them, but also, you know, to fill the depth roles as well. Well, that's where it's, um, as much as it's hard to sell the fan base on not doing a scorched earth rebuild, because it seems like that's what everybody wants. How do you sell, how would you sell Elias Patterson on that? Right. You know, like, well, that's the thing. Does he, and does he, I guess he would have to be a part of, you know, (laughs) the, the, the pieces that get moved out in a scorched earth rebuild situation. Well, if he's the, if he's the one guy and he wants to win that bad and they go to him and say, okay, we're going to blow it up. Yeah. And we're gonna, it's going to take us a couple of years, but you're going to be our guy, and we're going to try and get draft picks and, and build this roster out and from the ground up, and this is what we're going to do. Who's to say Elias Patterson's like, I want to I win? Yeah. That's, right? Uh, 
That's a tough one. Like, it's a conversation that it's a conversation that has to be had. People don't want to hear it. Yeah. But that those conversations are definitely being had. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, look. As much as Jim Rutherford was was showing his his fan base, you know what the plan is. Like they've got to have that concrete plan. And I think it starts at this deadline, to be quite honest with you. I agree. You know, as much as uh, you need major surgery and how, you know, saying that in front of the media and what would that do to the locker room? I, I would think that there's a realization in that Canucks locker room that it's not good enough here and there has to be some changes in order to get this thing going in a better well, direction. I think, that, I, I think that realization was made a while ago. Exactly. I, think that, I, don't think, I don't think that they're naive enough to believe that they didn't think that change was coming or – they don't believe that anything was going to happen or something's got to give. I think so. I think some people are surprised that something hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, you know, getting back to it, you know, that kind of starts with Bo and, and can yeah. you hit that home run trade uh, with, with the captain? Uh, it was a tough loss for our Seahawks this weekend, man. Man, we got beat sideways. It's okay. <laughs> Fifth overall pick though. It's all good. Well, and I think that oh, the problem was with, the, the halftime lead and then the fumble. <laughs> we were okay up until that. Yeah. Okay you up until. It moves you along and then Gino fumbles and then it's okay. Uh, yeah. You know, this is it's how the story ends. Now it's a wash. All right. Uh, you're the best. Thanks for this. All right, guys. Be well. Uh, there he is. Irfan Gafar. As plugged, as, as plugged in as it gets uh, in Vancouver. Um, lots to uh, parse through there. Mentioned, it may not fully done yet with Bo Horvat which is surprising but there is a long lineup of teams hoping that they can have their chance to trade for Bo Horvat as well it's um it's a tough situation in Vancouver and as Earth mentioned not only are you selling your future to the fan base right now but you are selling your future to the biggest part of the team. And that is Elias Pettersson. Quinn Hughes is locked up. You can be comfortable with Quinn Hughes right now. But does Elias Pettersson buy the direction of this team and see a path forward where he can have success? That's a massive part of the next few months for the Vancouver Canucks. It's Dan Riccio coming up. Ian McIntyre. Haven't heard his take yet on... Jim Rutherford's comments. We'll get that next. It's Canuck Central.